Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. It's so good, so good to be here with you. If I haven't met you yet, then I apologize for that. I'm doing my best to get to know everybody that comes to Cornerstone Church, but it just takes a little bit while. And so uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Phil, and I'm part of the team here at Cornerstone. And it's so good to see you here in the place. It's so good to have you joining online. We're so glad that you would spend some of your time with us. We believe that this is not wasted time. We believe that worship is never wasted time that something special happens when you enter into his presence, that even when you don't know what's happening, even when you just think that you're lifting up the name of God, there is something that is happening, something that is changing and transforming on the inside of you. And so I'm so glad that you're here and that you have made the investment in yourself to be here at Cornerstone today. Uh, we are getting ready to finish our series that we've been in for the last few weeks. We have been in a series called Forever. And it's this idea of worshiping an unchanging God, that God does not change. Our situations may change, our environment may change, our relationships may change, but God is forever. And we get to know this unchanging God. And so a few weeks ago, we kicked off the series and we talked about what it means to know this God that doesn't change. And then Bishop continued the series as we talked about the incommunicable attributes of God which is a really fancy way of simply saying the attributes that are only for Him. These are not the attributes for us. These are the attributes just for God, the attributes like He is all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere and has everything under His control. These are the incommunicable attributes of God, and these are the reasons that we worship Him and that we don't worship ourselves because of these attributes. And then Meredith continued this series last week as we talked about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's one of those topics when we learn about the Trinity that is profoundly frustrating because you never quite get to the understanding, the full comprehension of who God is. And I believe that one of the reasons that he acts in the Trinity is simply to confuse us. I know that God is not the author of confusion, but I know that there is so much depth in the Trinity that just when you think that you've got the Father understood, then Jesus comes along. And just when you think that you've got Jesus understood, then the Holy Spirit comes along. And it is this rise of uh, new atheism that teaches that there is a God of the Old Testament who is the Father, who is vindictive, and who is angry and who is mad all the time. And when you read the Old Testament, you can kind of understand this, right? You read the Old Testament and you see God the Father who is dishing out punishment upon people. And then we flip chapters forward and then we enter into the New Testament and we see this guy called Jesus who is this long-haired hippie who is just dishing out grace upon everybody. And when you just look at it at a surface level, you see God of the Old Testament, you see God of the New Testament, you might think, that these two are different. You might think at a surface level that these two gods are different, that they are not the same. But we know that our Bible is bound together, that the Old Testament works with the New Testament, and that these are different sides of the triune God, the Trinity that shows the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
But it can be confusing when we try and understand God. And I'm continuing our series today as we talk about the character of God. We're going to be talking about the character of God today. And if we want to learn about just who God is, it only makes sense that we study it out in the Bible. And so we don't just look to the Bible for our own experience. We look because we want to see who God says that he is. Not just who other people say that he is, but who does God say that he is? Is there anywhere in the Bible that shows like a, a self-disclosure statement of who God is? And we see this in the book of Exodus. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to be reading this here in just a couple of moments in Exodus 34, just by way of context, just so you know, let me set the scene here really quick. In Exodus 34, we've got the Israelites, right? These are the tribes of, Is of Israel. These are the people of God. And these people had been bound in slavery in Egypt. And then Moses comes along and by way of the 10 plagues, leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And now they are at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses had just gone up Mount Sinai and he had this incredible interaction with God. And he receives the Ten Commandments on these two tablets. And I don't know how big these tablets were. These were not like little iPads. I'm imagining that Moses was a pretty solid dude. But he carries these two tablets down the mountain. And as he is descending the mountain, sees his people worshiping other gods in the form of a calf, and he gets mad. Moses just gets angry and smashes these tablets on the ground. And eventually when he's rebuked the people and said, uh, you know what, well, I'm going to go back up the mountain. And I'm going to see if I can atone for your sin. He's calmed down a little bit. And he goes to this place where he interacts with God. And I love reading about Moses because... Moses is described as having a relationship with God as one would have with a friend. Just like I would have with Mark or with my wife or with a friend here. Moses had that kind of relationship with God. And so he says to God, God, you know who I am. You have searched my heart. You have called me out. You have set me aside for this. And I know your name because you have already introduced yourself to me as I am but I want to know more about you. He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. This is in 1500 BC. This is over 3,000 years ago, but he is saying, show me your glory. And three and a half thousand years later, we are still praying that prayer. God, show me your glory. God, show up here in this place. God, show up in my life. I need a touch from you today. God, I am desperate for a touch from you today. Show me your glory. And glory in this sense is a word that means heaviness. It is the weight, the presence of God. Not in a burdensome sense, not in the sense that it is difficult to carry, but it is the physical, tangible weight of God. And so he says, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, nobody can see my face and live but when you ascend the mountain again, I will cover your eyes and I will pass in front of you so that you can see my back because nobody can see my face and live. And so Moses does just that. And we see this in, Mo in not in Moses, in Exodus chapter 34, 
I'm going to read it in verse 6. This is a really big deal, guys. This scripture here is like theology 101. I am so excited to be talking about this scripture today. This is a scripture where God describes himself. This is not somebody else describing God. This is God describing himself. So if you want to know about God, go to the source. This is God saying who he is. This is like John 3:16 of the Old Testament. This is a big deal. This is a scripture that is so well known by the scholars of the Bible, the people that wrote the Bible, that it is repeated over 30 times times throughout the Bible. It's a big deal because important things are worth repeating. Important things are worth repeating. Important things are worth (laughs) repeating. And so we see this. We're going to read in Exodus 34, verse 6, and it reads like this. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And some other versions read it as abounding in loyal love. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in loyal love. That's our God. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for who you are. We gather today in your name the name that is gracious, the name that is compassionate, the name that is slow to anger and rich in love. And God, we have gathered in your name for the sole purpose of learning more about you, knowing you more, being deeper in relationship with you today. We wanna honor you with our time. We wanna honor you with everything that we are today, God. Would you honor us with your presence? Pour out your spirit. Show us your glory today, God. And it's in your son's name that we've all prayed. Amen. Amen. My name is Phil Ryburn. I was born in New Zealand. I grew up in Australia. I have three brothers. I have two parents. I had a little toy poodle growing up whose name was Harry that we all joked that he was not quite a dog at all, but he was more like a large rat than he was, in fact, a dog. He was my nana's pet and he happened to live with us for many years. I love soccer, which around the rest of the world we call football. Here we still call it soccer because we have a different form of football in the States. But I have one wife, I have three sons. Promise, just have one wife, she's the best right here. I have three sons, I am an extra, isn't she the best? I expected a little bit more, there we go. I am an extrovert. If the letters, these letters mean anything to you, I am an ENFP. If you use the DISC personality profile, then I am an ISC. And if you're more of the Enneagram type, then I believe that I am a three with a seven wing. But I'm not too sure about that. This is my self-disclosure statement. If you wanted to know about me, you should come and speak to me about who I am. You could speak to somebody else and they would tell you about their experience with me. They would tell you about some things that they had heard about me. They would tell you about some things that I might have posted on social media. But if you want to learn about me, you should come to the source. And the idea of self-awareness is that if I know myself, I can tell you better than anybody else about who I am. And this is what we see... In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, this is God's self-disclosure statement. This is him talking about who he is. And he starts this in Exodus 34 and 6 by saying, I am the Lord, the Lord. Or another translation would say, I am Yahweh, 
Yahweh. This is one of the names for God, Yahweh. And he has already introduced himself to Moses as I am. And Yahweh means what I am, I will be. Not just I am in this moment, but what I am, I will be. As if to say, I don't change. I am consistent. I am predictable. You know who I am when you know me. I'm not going to change tomorrow because I am the unchanging God. I am, and what I am, I will be. I am Yahweh. And names were a really big deal in the ancient world, much more of a deal than they are today. We've got all kinds of trendy names that don't mean too much today, like Remy and Kanye and all kinds of other words that don't quite mean anything, but names meant something in the ancient world. Names were a really big deal, and the name that you were given was often the description that was given over you. It was more of a marker of your character. It maybe, maybe it was a symbolic uh, feature of where you were born or some significant moment from when you were born or, or something that would attest to your future and the direction that you were going because names are a big deal. And our son, our four-year-old, knows this. He describes things and then names them based on that description. And it's really cute for four-year-olds. If you've got a four-year-old or a three-year-old, you know just how they function. So we just have um, gotten ridden, rid of these two kittens that entered our life this last week <laughs> that my wife is so happy about. If you uh, were tracking on social media, we went to Chick-fil-A for chicken and ended up with two kittens. And I don't know quite how it happened, but we took these kittens home and I said to Theodore, what should we name these kittens? And Meredith said, don't you dare name them because if you name them, then you end up keeping them. Don't you name them because I want them out of my house. So we named them. And, uh, and we did originally call them Chick and Filet because that's where we found them. But then he said, no, Dad, I don't like those names. I want to call this one Gray because it's gray. And I want to name this one Meow because it keeps on meowing. That's how the mind of a four-year-old works, right? You see something, you've got a description of this thing, and then you end up naming that thing. We have a little fish as well, and we actually have a few pets. That's one of the reasons why Meredith didn't rightfully didn't want us to keep these pets. But we had this little fish, and we let Theo name this fish as well. And I said, Theo, what do you want to name this? And he said, I. And I was waiting for the rest of the sentence, and he said, no, I is what I want to name the fish. And I said, you want to just name it a letter? And he goes, no, I, because it's got an I on the side of its head. So I want to name it I. It's going to be called I the fish. So now we have a fish that is called I. And a while ago, last Christmas, Theo got this little toy horse that when you push the button on the bottom of its foot, it starts dancing around and it goes, nay, nay, just like this. And so again, I said to Theo, what do you want to name this horse that says nay, nay? And sure enough, we now have a little toy horse that is called nay, nay because this is the way that our four-year-old's mind works, that when he sees something, he describes something, and then he names that thing based on the description, because the name that we give things are a big deal. And that's why we have decided with our three boys that we have given them all middle names that speak to their attributes. That's why we have a son whose middle name is Brave, and that's why we have another son whose middle name is Justice and why we have another son whose middle name is Faith because we want to speak these attributes into our children's life. 
And I'm not even just talking about the name of our kids. I'm talking about the name that we give everything, right? The name that you give your boss, the name that you give your teacher, the name that you give this week, the name that you give this year. It is significant, it is a big deal. You could be complaining like, oh gosh, this is the worst year that I have ever had. Oh God, this is the worst teacher that I have ever had. I wish that I didn't have this teacher. I'm not gonna learn anything from this teacher or this professor, or this is the worst boss ever. Maybe, maybe that is the case, or maybe it is just because that is the way that you have named it. Maybe it is because you have spoken that over your situation, over your environment, over that relationship. Oh God, I have the worst spouse. My husband just doesn't listen to me. My wife, she doesn't pay attention. She doesn't cook the food that I want, right? You can tell I went a little bit deep there, I'm sorry. Right, but it is about the name that you give something, and we have the authority, we have the power not just to name something, but to rename something. So yeah, you might have received a bad report, you might have received something that you didn't wanna hear, you might have received something into your life that you didn't want, but you have the power and the authority and the mandate from God to rename that thing for His glory and for His purpose. Names are important. That's why God calls himself compassionate. And this is huge because the other gods that were present at that time in surrounding nations, these gods were not compassionate. These were gods that were vindictive and angry all the time and required child sacrifices. These were not good gods to worship. And so when Yahweh says, I am the creator God, I am a good God, I am a benevolent God, I am a loving God, a compassionate God, the Israelites were like, we haven't heard of this kind of God before. We didn't know that a God could be like this. And he says, I am compassionate and I am loving. And compassionate in this sense is the description of what you would give to a mother in the way that she feels and interacts with her child, her little child. That's what compassionate means in this sense, in the Hebrew word compassionate, the way that a mother feels about her young child. And I look at the way that my wife looks at our little children, in particular, our little four-month-old, and the way that she holds him and the way that she just swoons over him. That's the feeling that God has over his children. I know that my wife loves our little, little four-month-old even when he won't sleep through the night. Our other two kids, they were sleeping through the night at two months old, which is like, that's a feat, but that was our expectation because we had kids that started sleeping through the night at two months old. Our third and last child has come along. I'm just gonna say it very plainly because we keep getting the question about when are we having more kids. Our third and last child has come along and he is just pushing back and chooses not to sleep through the night. And so four months he is now and he still refuses to sleep through the night. And there are times when I think that he is in fact sleeping through the night. I'll wake up well rested in the morning and I'll feel fantastic and I'll stretch and I'll go downstairs and I'll make myself breakfast and Meredith will be down there and she's making breakfast and I'll say, babe, full of anticipation, I'm so excited and I'll say, hey, I think that we've made it. I think that we're there. Winston is finally sleeping through the night and then she will snap back a look at me with these bloodshot eyes and say, how dare you say that? I was awake four times overnight 
Are you kidding me that you didn't hear one time that our child was crying? So much so that last week when she was getting out of bed at I think like 3 a.m. for the fourth time or something like that, she elbows me in the side and wakes me up and says, are you seriously making me get out of bed for the third time tonight? And as I lay there nursing my wound in the middle of the night, just wondering why both of us had to be awake in the middle of the night and why she couldn't take care of it by herself, I just wondered, why are we both awake? And I thought, it's teamwork. We're in this together. We share each other's burdens, right? Now, Meredith is doing a fantastic job with our little guys. And when our kids grow a little bit older and when they can eat and when they can run and when they can throw things and dig holes, that's when I come into my prime. That's like the fatherhood that I really enjoy. But I, uh, I love our kids. I truly do. I believe that fatherhood is a calling. I believe that fatherhood is one of the most beautiful things that you can do. Being a parent and raising young children in uh, the name of God is one of the most precious things that you can do. I love dancing with our kids. I love singing with our kids. I love wrestling with our kids, kissing our kids, swimming with our kids, all of those kinds of things. And the way that we interact with our kids is often the way that they understand how God is and the way that they understand how compassionate God is. And the way that you look at your kids or maybe the way that your parents look at you is an understanding for you about how God operates with us because God is compassionate and God is gracious and he is abounding in love. A few weeks ago, we were in a different series called Return to Sender. And in that series, I preached a message on the book of Jonah, and I left us all with the question, are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? You remember that? I mean, thinking about that question, are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? Are you okay with a God who loves your critics? Are you okay with a God who loves the people that cut you off in traffic, the people that just fired you from your job, the people that just unfriended or unfollowed you on social media? Are you okay with a God who loves those people? Or if you put it a different way, if you think about someone right now that you would be really, really, really upset if God blessed that person, if God gave that person a raise, if God did something good for that person, if you would be upset about that, are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? And that's the question that we had from the book of Jonah. And the reason that I'm talking about Jonah is because this scripture that we're studying today, Exodus 34 and 6, this scripture is repeated multiple times throughout the Bible. And one of the places that it's repeated is in the book of Jonah. And Jonah, just as a refresher, was this Old Testament prophet who was given the mandate to take a message to the people of Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. God said, go to Nineveh and share a message with them. And instead of going to Nineveh, he flees in the other direction, and he goes to a place called Tarshish, or at least he tries to go, and he is thrown overboard, and he has this interaction with a fish, and he leaves the fish's mouth, and then he gets thrown up on a beach, and eventually he goes to a place called Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to go. And the reason that he didn't want to go is because Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians and the Israelites did not get along. These people were enemies. These people were at odds with each other all the time. And Jonah was offended at those people and offended with God at the idea of having to go and share a message with them that would lead to their repentance. And Jonah didn't want to go. 
And then sure enough, Jonah does go and he shares the message of repentance with them. And then the entire city experiences repentance. And instead of being excited about it, instead of celebrating with the angels, instead of being happy about it, Jonah is not. Jonah is mad about it. Jonah is angry and frustrated, and he didn't want it to happen. And then we see in Jonah chapter 4, it reads like this. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are what? Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's heavy. Jonah is suicidal, literally, because God has poured out love on the people that he didn't want them to pour, him to pour out love on. And so Jonah is not a nice guy. Jonah, yes, he is an Old Testament prophet. Yes, God does speak to him and through him, but he is not a pleasant guy to be around. He wished, wished calamity upon the people of Nineveh, but instead when God pours out repentance and when God brings them into right relationship, he's unhappy and upset about it to the point of being suicidal. He can't see the future because he is so upset and so offended at the idea that God would love these people that he cho chose to hate. Are you okay with a God who loves your enemies. A few weeks ago, I shared with our church for the very first time uh, about an experience that happened to me when I was young. This is something that happened to me when I was five or six years old, when I was back in Australia. And I was in an environment, I was in a relationship with a female who was much older than I was. An inappropriate relationship, a relationship where this person in this experience took advantage of my innocence and did things to me, made me do things to her, uh, took advantage of the fact that I was much younger and didn't know about right from wrong took advantage of the fact that young kids are taught to trust older people. And so we do that when we're young people. We trust older people because we are taught to believe that older people are going to protect us and preserve us and take care of us. And this person didn't. This person stripped years of innocence away from my life. And one of the things that I've been wrestling through is Am I okay with forgiving this person? Am I able to forgive this person? What this experience did for me, because this person moved away a few years later, and I was still very young, and uh, I didn't really know it at the time, but because this person left, I was all alone, and because this was my experience when I was young, I assumed that it was normal and that this kind of thing happened to everybody and that this kind of thing was acceptable and that this kind of thing was how everybody should be treated. And so that was just my experience. And because it was my experience and because I thought it was normal, I didn't talk about it. I didn't get help for many years. I didn't speak to anybody about it. 
the first person that I ever spoke to about it was my wife Meredith when we were dating and when we were moving towards engagement. And I said, I don't wanna keep wrestling with this anymore. I don't wanna keep carrying this burden anymore by myself. And so I wanna to speak to somebody about it. And what I have learned is that burying these things doesn't help. That just pushing it down is not the answer. That speaking about it and getting help is the answer. And Jesus is the only one that can truly provide the answer. That speaking about it with someone, speaking about it with a counselor does help, but that only Jesus heals. That Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to bring healing for you today. Jesus is the answer. And so over everything as a church, we declare that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. For too many years, I was under the pressure of dealing with this situation by myself. I was wrapped up in curiosity about maybe everybody experiences this kind of thing. I was left in a place of where my curiosity led to addiction, where this addiction became pornography. And throughout my early teenage years struggled with this deeply because I thought that this was normal. I thought that this was my fault. I thought that this was uh, something that I had done. I thought that this was something that I needed to break out of myself, but I felt guilty about it. I felt shame about it. I blamed myself. I thought maybe this was a result of something that I had done. And I just wanna tell you today, if this has been your experience, that this is not your fault. If something happened to you when you were young, this is not your fault. And I can stand here today as a testimony that you can find healing, that healing and restoration and wholeness can be yours today. That you don't have to go through this alone that you don't need to try and bury this down, that you can find healing and wholeness today, that we can walk alongside of you and help you find the same restoration that I have found in my life. And I believe that that only comes through the working of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is the answer. And I will continue declaring that Jesus is the answer over every situation. And I don't know it to be true simply because I read about it in the Bible. I know it to be true because I have experienced him in my life. I have experienced the awesome, miraculous, powerful, healing, transformative power of Jesus Christ at work in my life. And I believe, I am passionate about it, that that same power can set you free today as well. So I want to encourage you. I wanna encourage you to get healthy. Do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. Do it for your loved ones, but get healthy. I wanna challenge you to get healthy today. And as a church, we are committed to being part of the solution. We know that there are all kinds of sins that take place, not just in this community. We know that this, I'm gonna talk about it just as ugliness, because it is an umbrella term that defines a whole lot of different things. This ugliness, whether it is abuse or neglect or taking advantage of those that are vulnerable, whatever it is, this ugliness, it is too perverse in our world. If it happens to one person, that is too many. 
And so I know that as a church that we are committed to being part of the solution because this is not something that just happens locally. This is something that happens around the world. And this is something that is going to take partnerships with organizations. This is something that is going to take the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. This is something that's going to take a whole lot of prayer as well. That's going to take strategy about how we can go after these things. And so as a community, as a faith community, we continue to partner with great organizations that are doing something about this. We continue to pray into these kinds of things. And so we are committed to being part of the solution for the future. And what we want to do today is to pray into this as well. I'm going to ask Jackie if you can come up, and we've got a few people that, we, that I've asked before to come and join with us in prayer, because this is a moment that we need to be praying into, because in the same way that I have experienced health and wholeness in my own life, I believe that you can experience this too. If this is your story, you can experience health and wholeness today too, and I want to be really sensitive in these moments, because... This might be something that you have never spoken about before. This might be something that you haven't talked about with the person that is next to you. This might be something that you thought was dealt with many years ago, but is now coming back to the surface as you start realizing, maybe I never dealt with this the way that I should have. I know that for myself, the more that I buried it, the more that I didn't talk about it, the more that I thought that maybe this situation never actually took place in my life. And what I've realized is it's important to talk about it. It's important to be transparent. It's important to be authentic because maybe by me sharing my story, that's going to give someone else the ability to share their story. Maybe to give someone else the confidence to stand up and say, I can get healed too. I can get restored too. I can get renewed too. And it is only by the power again of the Holy Spirit that he will bring that restoration into your life. So Jane, and Jeff, if you can come down the front, we're going to pray into this. This is either a prayer for you or we're all, all going to be praying for those that are receiving this prayer. And like I said, I want to be really sensitive in these moments. Sometimes in these moments of altar ministry, we would invite people to come down the front. I just want to be sensitive here because you might not have shared this or it might not be appropriate for you to come down the front. You are welcome to, but you're also welcome to be joining from right where you're at today, whether you're joining online or in your seat right now. This is a moment that we are going to be praying against the work of the enemy in our lives and for the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We're gonna be praying for these two different things together. That's why I've got two people that are gonna be joining us in prayer today, to be pushing against the darkness. And as a church, we don't talk too much about the enemy because he's not that impressive. Because if you know his tricks and if you learn about what he is doing, then he's not that impressive. Paul says that we should be aware of the enemy, but he doesn't say that we should worship demons. He doesn't say that we should be tormented. He doesn't say that we should be put off, that we should be intimidated. Matter of fact, Jesus says that we have power and authority over demons. He says that we can do something about it. He says that we can name things and we can rename things, that we can see transformation come, that we can see new situations come into our life, maybe in a time and a place where you thought, I could never be healed from this. There is still hope for you. And so church, I want all of us to stand right here in this place. Whether you're here in the building, whether you're joining us online, we're gonna all pray into this today. First, we're gonna pray for those that need healing. We're gonna be pushing up 
back against demonic strongholds, going to be pushing back against the work of the enemy in our lives. Let's all pray. Father, we agree with your word that said no weapon formed against us has the ability to prosper because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that you sent your word and healed us and delivered us from our destruction. So we cancel the assignment and bind the spirit of destruction and trauma, abuse. We cancel the assignment and break the spirit of death and discouragement, emotional fatigue and tiredness, physical emotional uh, fatigue and tiredness in the name of Jesus. We declare the blood of Jesus is a covering us from the top of our head into the soles of our feet. I pray a ring of fire around every person and we declare anyone you've not called to be in our life would be repelled by the fire. We thank you that the anointing that's upon us destroying every yoke, lifting every burden. We declare every prison door is open and that everyone has been set free in the name of Jesus. You said God anything that is not planted of the Father must be uprooted. So we uproot wrong relationships. We uproot tormenting spirits and memories and we thank you God for doing a deep work on the inside of us. We send confusion and chaos, strife and division into the enemy's camp. And we declare that there is a turnaround. We thank you it is a season of turnaround over your people. That no weapon formed has the ability to prosper. So we declare the weapon is dropping in the name of Jesus. We declare any door that was open to the enemy, we close it right now by the blood of Jesus. We release your warring angels. We release divine protection. We thank you that your hand is protection is upon your people, upon our children, upon our families. We release divine intervention everywhere we need it. We declare anyone that is blinded, we command their eyes to be open. We release the gift of discernment that people will be to discern about the right times and the seasons and the right places and the right people. We release miracles. We release a turnaround. We declare, God, that it is a turnaround season that generational curses are broken. We break cycles of failure. We break cycles of hurt and trauma. We break generational cycles of poverty and lack and insufficiency. We break cycles of trauma and abuse. And we declare that you are moving your hand and that there is a turnaround. We draw a line in the sand by the blood of Jesus, and we declare the blood of Jesus is against the enemy, that he has no authority, that we step in and possess our land. You said, God, that when a thief gets caught in the act, he must return over sevenfold what's been stolen. So we declare that there is restoration over families, restoration over the next generation, over this church, over the children, that there will be a restoring and a returning of the way that you have brought it into order. We declare prisoners that there is of the prisoners in their mind. We declare people that have been having problems sleeping. We break cycles of insomnia. We break cycles of fear. We break, you God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind. So we release power over your people. We release love and we release sound mind. I silence the voice of the accuser of the brethren right now. I come against every spirit of vexation and harassment, and I bind the spirit of worry and panic. I command it to go in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are hovering over every family in this church, that you are saturating the atmosphere of their homes with your peace and with your promises, that there'll be good sleep, that there's a spirit of unity. We come against every spirit of strife and contention and division, and we release peace in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. We agree with the prayer that was just spoken over our lives. We thank you, Father, that the enemy is pushed back. 
We know that the enemy comes against us, but there is no equal to your power. We thank you, Father, that we understand that as long as we are in relationship and covenant with you, that nothing can come against us. So we come into agreement with the prayer that was said right before us right now. We declare that anything holding us back has to be removed in the name of Jesus. Anything that's hindering us and hurting us in this time has to be removed. So we declare healing over your people, Father. We speak right now healing over your people to come. For those things that in the environment that have come to attack us, that have come to harm us, that have come for our destruction, we push back on it right now in the name of Jesus. We say we are healed. So we start and we look at ourselves and we say that, Lord, only you can heal us. So we declare that we are healed in the name of Jesus. From the blood of Jesus, we declare healing. We declare healing over physical ailments, but we also declare healing of the heart, Lord. We declare healing of the heart because we know out of the heart flows the issues of the of the of the spirit lord and we thank you for healing in our hearts lord we thank you that as people are hurt and we go through and look we can exude forgiveness lord god we thank you that forgiveness will come as a result of the healing in our hearts lord that we are coming in as a people from your people and every people that we're looking to move past division but we're looking to put in the unity and the only way we can do it from the unity is if that we are healed first Lord so we thank you Father God for that healing Lord we thank you Father God for coming into our lives into our hearts and everything that's come around us that's always been trying to hurt us Father God that we can forgive and let go we can forgive and let go Lord because then the bondages will come down and if the bondages come down we are free to help others we can't help others unless we are first ourselves free Lord and we thank you for that we thank you for the healing. So come right now, Holy Spirit. Heal us. Heal us. Look inside our own selves and we are totally healed and we are totally set free, Father, because there's a work to do, especially in this time and age. There's a work for us to do as your Christian people, Father God, that we need to come in and help others. So first we need to be healed and we declare that healing. So if we're in the four walls of this building or if we're watching online, we declare that the Spirit of God is coming over into our lives and into our hearts for the healing, Father God. Heal us physically. Heal us in our hearts, Father. Heal us mentally. Make us Oh, Lord God, we want to know that we are one, Lord. Take the bondages off, Father God. We declare that we know we were coming in too, and we're going to do a good work, Father God, because we know that every step that we take, you are making it brighter for each and every one of us, Lord God. And we're coming into unity. Each and every one of us has a specific assignment on our lives, but as corporately, we can come and declare more, and we can heal more, and we can turn this thing around, and we come against division. We come against division. Every one of us has an assignment, and we come against division. We promote unity. Anything that is happening right now has got to be resulted in unity. We come together in unity, fill in the blank for whatever it is, but we know that unity is going to solve this thing, but it's going to come from you, God. It's only going to come from you. All the things that we do in this world has to come from you, God. And we declare it in Jesus' name. We just thank you for that healing, because we already know what it's done. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. We are believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely. If God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website, which is simply cornerstone.church and click the Give button. Find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right. We are going to continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.